Okay, Joshua chapter 3. Um, this is one of those chapters, if you've been around flip side long enough, you've been around me long enough, you've heard me talk about this chapter. Um, there's part of me that wants to go through it piece by piece and reiterate what I've said a lot of times before. There's other parts of me that wants to um, get into some other stuff. And so I'm not exactly sure which of those two Carls will win this evening, uh, but we'll just go through it. Um, and just trust that whatever I say, there's a lot more to it. And so read it and study it on your own as well. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Joshua 3, uh, starting in verse uh, 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now, something to remember about the book of Joshua this is the beginning of the fulfillment made back in Genesis 12 to Abraham, Abram when God said, leave this place to the place I'll show you and began the promise of the, uh, of the blessing of land and a nation for his people. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of the exodus under Moses from Egypt that would lead to the promised land. This is the beginning of the fulfillment after 40 years of wandering around in the desert um, and so Joshua plays a key, 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 not just the man, but the book, and not just the book, but what's in the book, plays a key role in the realization of the faithfulness of God uh, and, the, um, and, and the commemoration um, of what he has done in the lives of his people and consequently what we can look forward to him doing in our lives, the fulfillment of his word. Um, uh, the Bible says that God is active and alert, watching after his word to perform it. And so God will perform everything he says he'll do. And he told him he'd give him a land. And so Joshua is a key part of the nation of Israel's history because it is the starting point of the reclamation of that promise. Um, the, one of the, the most uh, popular and profound stories in all of Israel's history is the exodus out of Egypt and the inhabitants of the promised land. Um, the exodus out of Egypt has happened. This is the inhabiting of the promised land. So this is a big, big deal, <clears throat> both for the people, for the history, for, the theo for, for our theology of who we believe God is and what God continues to do. So they set out in the morning. All the Israelites set out, and they went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So they haven't crossed it yet, but they're getting ready to. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, verse 2 and 3. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand, it says a thousand yards, uh, between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So, the instruction is when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God move, then follow it. Now, this is an important distinction to make on the order of things. The Ark of the Covenant, there were two pieces to it. Does anybody know what the two, two pieces were? Inside or the whole? No, no. The, the carrier? Not the, pool, not the poles. The seat. Okay, yeah. The box and the covering. That comprised the Ark of the Covenant. So there was the bark, uh, the bark. <laughs> there was the box, 
and the covering. The box contained three things, but there was the box and a separate piece was the covering. The covering was called the mercy seat, had cherub on it. Uh, and uh, that is the mercy seat is where the, uh, the, the, the presence of God would rest. The Shekinah glory, his presence, the fullness of his being would rest in the mercy seat of the box of the covenant. When the Bible says here, when you see the box of the covenant move, that is both the visible and the, the theological symbol of the presence of God. It was in the tab- it was in the tent of meeting, and that's where God would meet with Moses. When, when the people looked at the, the box of the covenant and the mercy seat over it, that was the symbol that that's, that was God. That was, that was where God was. And so what, what they're being told is when you see not just the box move, it's not just a, it's not just a box. When you see God move, when you see the presence of God move, then you're to do something. What are they to do? Follow. That's important. One, don't move until you see God move. You want to get in trouble? Make your own plans and go. Right? Right? Many I do's have been done that way. <laughs> and so, like, like when you don't do nothing until you know God's moving. And then, once you see God move... Follow, don't try to lead him. A lot of it, a lot of times me, I've tried to lead God. Like I'm your man, I want your will, let me go ahead and get this done for you. Now please bless it as I go. You know what I'm saying? And so the order here is important. When you see the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, when you see God's move, uh, and then you go and you follow. But notice, follow how? Step by step. Great distance, thousand yards. Yeah, that's over half a mile. Mm, okay. Keep some distance. Yeah. Keep some distance. Um, God doesn't like to be crowded. God doesn't like to be pushed. If He invites us into His presence, He wants us close. But there are some times where we got to remember who He is. Uh, and and don't He doesn't want us walking in front of Him. Sometimes he doesn't want us walking beside him. Sometimes he wants us just following. And we got to know, God, when should I slow down? And when should I just follow? Right? And not rush to get ahead. And not rush even to keep up. Just follow. Um, Our tendency, especially in our Western culture is to move and move now and move fast. We don't like waiting for stuff. <coughs> and so, what, what, what's, uh, what's Isaiah 40, 31 tell us? Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They'll run and not go weary, and when they're too tired of running, they'll walk and not fall over. And so sometimes it's good for us to be reminded, just, hey, slow down now. Let's make sure it's God who's leading us, and let's make sure it's him we're following and not running ahead of that, right? Um, Joshua told the people, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, 
For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among, among you. Um, God wants to lead us. That's his position. And in our following, there may be things in our lives that we have to get in order. It's interesting to me that they couldn't follow in their dirty self. They may have wanted to follow him into the promised land, but there was obviously some stuff about them that they needed to get consecrated. We may want to follow God, but we can't follow God in our filth. And so there may be things in our following of God. God says, I want you to follow me, and I promise to lead you. Don't push me, but before you step out, there's some things I want you to get cleaned up. I'm not talking about faith. We always come to him in the middle of our filth. And he always takes us. But before we get our marching orders to follow him into there, I'm not saying there is. I'm saying maybe there are those times where we got to keep very short lists with God, right? Very short lists. And say, God, is there something? Is there something in my life that I need to, to make sure I'm right with you in? I need to make sure day by day I'm consecrated in my following you. Does that make sense? Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass uh, on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Verse 7, and, Josh, and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the, water, the, reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Two things pay attention to in 7 and 8. In verse 7, what does God say he want to do for, wants to do for Joshua? Exalt him. Exalt him. Lift him up. Set him up as the leader just as Moses was, right? right. And so if, if, if God is going to set, if God's going to set you up, I'm going I'm to make you look really good in front of the eyes of the people. Don't you think he would use you to do something? Yeah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How are you going to look good if you don't do something? So he said, I'm going to set you up now. What was his next instruction? Stand in the river. He didn't tell Joshua to stand in the river. He told the priest, huh? So they'll know I'm with you. No. He didn't tell Joshua to stand in the river. No, he told the priest. To... Told the priest who carried the ark to go stand in the river. It just is interesting to me that guy said, okay, look, Joshua, I'm going to make you look good. Now y'all go do this. Uh, it was, it's, it's just interesting to me that Joshua used other people. I'm sorry, God used other people to make Joshua look good. It's just interesting. I don't know what to make of it. Other than when God wants to turn people's hearts to you, he'll give you favor with, with people through other people. And Joshua said, okay, guys, this is your, this is your task. Go stand in the middle of it. Um, uh, verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here. Now, now watch the flow of this. Verses 9 uh, through 13. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, 
Choose 12 men from the, among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in heat. I, I want you to notice something here. Notice the key words. Listen, know, and see. Okay, listen, look at those key words. Verse 9 is listen. Verse 10 is know. Verse 11 is see. I want you to pay attention to the order. Listen, know, and see. This is an important order for us to, for us to remember. Before we see this incredible work that God's doing, there's things that have to come before that. Listen and know. Joshua says, I want you to listen to the words because by listening you will know and by listening, you will know. And when you know, you will see what God's doing. See, most time we get that backwards. We want to see what God's doing so we'll know that he's worth listening to. Right? God, if you'll only let me see it, then I'll know that I can believe you, what you said. And Joshua says, no, 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 no. You listen to what he says. You know what he said was going to do, then you'll see it. Let's not get those backwards. That's an important order. Then you'll see the ark of the going, uh, go, uh, the ark of, of the Lord, um, the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So, get the order right. Uh, now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in heap. We've talked about this. I've talked about this a lot. The, the, the river's at flood stage. Now, just to put it in perspective, flood stage at this time. I have, I know Jim has, some of you may have been over to Israel and seen the Jordan. It, it's not what it was. For a lot of different reasons. The geography has changed. Uh, the, 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 the world over there, the use of the Jordan has changed. It's not what it was. Um, especially at flood stage in ancient times. It's estimated that at flood stage, the river swelled to maybe a mile and a half wide and 40 feet deep. That's what we're talking about. It's huge. Huge. And so, for the command to be, take the ark. And step into the river. Now, was anybody supposed, supposed to touch the ark? No, you couldn't put a finger on it. One guy did years later, and what happened? He yeah, done. Uh, and so now, I'm sure that the priests know. I'm sure they're thinking, okay, wait, 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 hold on. I don't want to slip. <laughs> I don't want to mess this up. And they're looking at this river that could be a mile wide and 40 feet deep, thinking, what? <laughs> right? We've talked about this before. But in faith, because they've listened and they know, right? So they're confident they're going to see, but the act of them seeing requires them to step into this raging river. Now, most of us would say we'd get it all backwards. God, show me that you're parting the river like you did with Moses, and then I'll know that I can believe what you said that we're going to get in the promised land, right? 
It's so interesting to me that when God does it one way one time, it might come up against the exact same scenario, but he's probably going to do it different. Because if he did the same every time, we'd get so comfortable that it wouldn't require us to have any faith. And so he says, now I'm going to do it back for Moses. He saw it, so they knew they could believe with my word. And now he says, now you're a different generation. So I'm going to make you hear my words and believe it before you see it. So they got to step into the river. They step in the river, and the Bible says it stopped flowing. The waters downstream would be cut off. Where did it stop? We know from a different part of Scripture. Where did it stop flowing? Anybody remember? A town called Adam. That was how far away from where they were? 12 miles. 12 miles upstream. Now, you got a river that's a mile and a half long and 40 feet deep at some places, and it stops flowing 12 miles away from you. How long might that water take to stop? <laughs> Little bit of a time, huh? So just, let's just put ourselves in a priest. <laughs> like, okay. Shlomil, you go first. <laughs> you know, I don't know what their names are. You know, Shlomo, the delicatessen owner, please step in, you know. <laughs> so they step in. And you know, the guys behind them are like, okay, it's, it hasn't stopped yet. I guess I'm going to step in too. And they step in there. Have you ever stepped in line with God's word and nothing happened? And what do you do? Well, maybe it ain't going to work. We got to get someone to start praying. Second guessing. Second guessing. Maybe I need to start going to church more. You know, I just like all these things. But they listen to the words. They knew what God has said. And they know that they will see great people of faith. You know, the the interesting thing to me is um, this right here is what I call a leap of action. Have you ever heard people talk about a leap of faith? Kierkegaard talked about a leap of faith. So much of Christianity is not a leap of faith, it's a leap of action. Their faith meant nothing until they took action. Right? Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. 15, now, the Jordan's at flood stage. We talked about that all during the harvest, right? Um, half mile, a mile and a half wide and 40 feet deep, uh, deep at places. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, the river touched and their, the, uh, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So that, that, that place, Adam, is so what we just talked about, 12 miles upstream. <coughs> like it happened, but it didn't happen right now. But it happened. Whatever that river is, if God wants you to cross it, you're going to cross it. Might not be right now. But you're going to get across it. When he told the disciples, we're going to get in the boat and we're going to go across the lake. And they got in the middle of the lake and the storm came. 
and they freaked out, those Jewish young men had forgotten what their Jewish upbringing taught them in the book of Joshua. God said he would get the people across that big old river. And they stepped in the middle of a raging river and it didn't happen right now, but it did happen. Right? So let us people of faith not forget the same lesson. One way or another, we're going to get across. Um, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood, on firm, uh, stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all the Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely, uh, until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Couple things. Um, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan for how long? Till everybody crossed. Till everybody crossed. Um, That'd be quite a while. Quite a few people. Millions of people. <laughs> yeah. Millions of people standing there, just waiting, just waiting. On the one hand, standing there with incredible gratitude and amazement at the power of Almighty God. And on the other hand, maybe looking over their shoulder, did you, is that water? <laughs> is it? Right? I mean, how many times has God been doing something amazing and us look over our shoulder like, when is this going to stop? Like he's been really good, but when's the, it's like the adult child of an alcoholic. Like when's the other shoe going to fall? How long until daddy gets upset? Right? Well, you know, let, let, we got to be very careful because our tendency is to treat our Heavenly Father like, like we're accustomed to treating earthly people because we all know that people's good graces don't last that long. God's does. And they stay there and they wait and they stay there and they wait and they stay there and wait. Now, they probably weren't as frail as I am in faith and probably never looked over their shoulder. I would. I think I'd start listening for the rumblings of the water coming. Like, hurry up. Well, you probably deserve to get swept away, but never mind, you know. But they stand there. Wait, here, here, here's one thing that tells me. It tells me that sometimes the role of a leader, whether we're talking about of an organization or a family, is to be patient and wait for the slow ones to get across and to experience God's grace because sometimes it takes longer than what we want. Right? Yeah. Like sometimes when we're leading our family into the promised land of God's blessing, boy, they're just freaking or taking forever. We want to hurry up. Just be patient. And, and, and here's a word for someone. You may be called to be the one patiently standing in the river and just waiting. <coughs> You're not the one to look great like the first one to step in. You're not the one to hurry them along. You're not the one to prod them. You're just 
the one who's going to almost be faithful and stand right here. I, I, I think these priests were probably of the character that did not grow impatient with those who were lagging behind. They're holding the covenant the whole time? Apparently so. What about physical exhaustion? You know, when my daddy came back from Vietnam, he told me as I was growing up, son, your body can do a lot more than what you will ever ask it to do. Now, if you told me that, it wouldn't mean much coming from you. But when my daddy told me that from Vietnam, I believed him. So I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things. This is, this is my duty from God Almighty. I'm in the middle of this miracle. I'm in walk. You can't pry me out of this river. Like there's sometimes when you know you're in the move of God, like you can't, you can't entice me out of that. I will never go tired in the moment of God's move to convince me to be done. And if I do get that tired, as Moses was on the mountain and Aaron and her had to hold up his arms, God's going to provide something that I can, I, I can be in the middle of his move. Right? So I don't know, George. I don't know. Somehow they did it. Somehow they did it. That'd be a while if a million people crossed. Long, well, more than a million. A long time. Now, all I know is that you may be the one that God has called just to patiently wait in the river. And as long as you have to wait, you're going to have the strength to do it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You have enough strength tomorrow, tomorrow. Strength for the day. Whatever strength you'll need to stand on that river, you will not have tomorrow's strength today. You'll have it today's strength today. Tomorrow's strength and patience you'll have tomorrow. <coughs> and God does it that way so that day by day by day we wait on him every single day. Right? So all I want to say is like, like maybe you're called to just stand and wait. And if that's the case... Stand away. <laughs> now, I won't ask for testimony for how many times we've grown tired of waiting. And with those whom we have grown tired of waiting. Uh, but um, be encouraged. Now, let, let me go back. Let me go. Let me go. Because, that, I mean, that's, that's, chapter, that's chapter three. It's a short chapter. We've talked about a lot. I want to go back to something. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in heap. That's verse 13. What was the impetus of that miracle? Step down faith. Stepping out in faith. Did they have the faith that God could and would stop the waters before they stepped in? Yep. How many say yes? One, two, three, four, five, half of you. How many say no, not till they stepped in? Mm-hmm. I probably remember the story of Moses and they said he did it once and he's going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they did or not. The Bible doesn't tell us. They may have had the faith that the, that the waters would stop, 
Maybe they didn't until they actually experienced it. But the point is, what was the impetus of the miracle? Faith or action? The action of it. The impetus, the start of it was the faith. Then you have to have the faith before you have the action. Do you have to have the faith before they have the action? Listen, no, do, right? Go, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. This introduces a, uh, a long-standing debate about faith and actions. James chapter 2. Who wrote the book of James? James. Jesus. <laughs> James. 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 Who was James? Jesus' half-brother. Half half-brother. Oh, Sorry, half-brother. George. Sorry. Sorry, I corrected myself. Golly. You're being recorded. I know, his half-brother. Look at what Jesus' half-brother says. Someone will say, verse 18, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God, good. In other words, he's saying you have faith in there's a God. Even the de- demons believe that and are scared to death. Verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he... What's that word? Did when he offers this on Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he, what he did. did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is what's that word? Justified. justified by what? By what he does, not by faith alone. Is that a problem for anybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the same way, was not even, who's that lady? Rahab. Rahab. We talked about her last week, right? Yeah. It's interesting that James references back to the book of Joshua and this story we talked about last week. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she, what's that word? Did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Did you know that when they were deciding on the canonicity of of scripture, in other words, what what writings would be considered canon, would be considered holy scripture, a lot of them wanted to kick James out. Because of Rahab? No. (laughs) No. No, because of this passage. Because Paul says all the time, you are saved by faith, not by works. So that nobody can boast. And James comes along and it seems like. (laughs) Verse 24, you see that person is justified. That's the exact same word in Greek, justified, as just as if I'd never sinned, Mm -hmm. that Paul uses by what he does and not by faith alone. Hmm. What? So, Paul, uh, Abraham was justified before 
him ascending, going up on the hill. Abraham was justified when Jesus, when God told him that he would be the nation, have a nation, be the nation of many sons. And it said he believed in that, and that's when he was justified. So his works later didn't justify him. It just showed that he was justified. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So are you asking me to believe your opinion or the Bible? <laughs> well, um, the Bible. <laughs> but Abraham was found justified by his faith. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? But prior to him offering his son on the altar, he was found justified. Before even so then James just must not have read that part of the scripture. <laughs> well, that's why you know it's up for a great debate. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, I appreciate what you're saying. I'm just pushing back and, yeah, yeah you know that. When did you get the same Bible I have? <laughs> <laughs> Go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Now this is, so one of the things Dennis was quoting was what Paul explained to us about the justification and righteousness of Abraham, right? Paul told us all that. So, so again, from Paul's own hand, read Romans 2, verse 13. <laughs> Someone read it with your, with, with your mouth open. For not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Genesis 15.6. So from Paul's own hand, who told us that Abraham was justified by his belief? Tells us as well... For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So faith or works? Well, 3, 3, 24. Well, didn't faith is what amazed Jesus from that uh, Roman centurion? He said no one else around here has, in, has as much faith as, faith as him. Yeah, read, read 3, 24. Which one was that? 23 and 24. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Faith or works? Faith. Always. Why? Because it has to be? Because we have no good works that could please a holy God to make ourselves right with Him. There's nothing we could do ever. Are we talking about maybe different faith? Like not saving faith, but like... That's what you're saying. No. That was good And it was Genesis 15, 6 that he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to Him as righteousness. Right. And they quote it again and again and again. Um, the person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. 
They stepped, it didn't matter what they believed until they stepped in. Rahab was justified by what she did in hiding the spies. Mm -hmm. It just begs the question, what is the role of faith and works? What's the role of works compared to faith? What's the, what's the relationship of the two? Because you, you can make a very strong case. I got in a conversation with one of my football coaches yesterday about this very thing. And he's starting to study this stuff. And, and, um, and, and he gave me a lot of reasons for, for, for both sides and couldn't make up his mind. And, I, and he said, I think that's why, you know, you really just don't know the truth and it could be either way. And I said, you are on some really thin ice. If you're talking about the Bible and you say from your lips that you cannot know truth. Jesus, the, I said, there has to be objective truth that is God's word. Jesus said, I am the truth. So if you say you can't know truth, you have said you cannot know God and you cannot know Christ. You have to know truth. So what is the truth? And so he came down to it and he said, you know, I think it's, I think it's works. I think it's works. Because you can just say, I believe in God and I think, you, I think it's works. Is it James that says faith without works is dead? Mm-hmm. So I think that that kind so of So it's a dead faith. Yeah. So what it's good a, is dead faith? It's not a faith. So dead faith isn't saving faith. No. So a person <laughs> so on it's their works. deathbed who has no opportunity for What's works. What's that? A person on their deathbed who has no opportunity for works, but only has faith. A raw faith that they put their faith in Jesus, that he's their perfect righteousness, and they have no opportunity to work that out. They're still gonna be with Jesus that second if they die. So what I told him was then explain to me the thief on the cross. Yeah. So what do you mean the thief on the cross? <laughs> so where were his works? Nowhere. So he, he, he couldn't. He was dying. That's exactly. And what was Jesus' words? Today you'll be with me in paradise. So is it faith or works, I told him. He said, oh, I think it's faith. <laughs> That's good. I, I said, I, I, I think it's faith too. I don't think I faith. I know it's faith because that's what the Bible says. But our struggle is, you see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. You, you say you have faith. I say I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything and I'll show you my faith by what I do. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, is saying works trump faith. If you have to choose one, doesn't it sound like that's what he's saying? Or maybe, <laughs> maybe because only God can really see into your heart, we can only see somebody's faith by what they do. Um, God knows that first we had faith to do that. But people don't see our faith unless we are doing it. So you're saying that people don't see our faith unless we do it, so we got to do it so they can see it. But that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about, he's talking about, he's talking about faith and deeds. Like he's, he's pretty clear about this. And not about if other people see it. It's like what, 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 what's important here. I, 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 one of the things I think we have to make a distinction of 
is and, and, and we're talking all right and I'm pushing back just for the sake of pushing back um, but it is very 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 clear that we've been saved and justified by faith not a result of work so no one can boast mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that all through scripture Abraham <laughs> believed God and was credited to him as righteousness so I mean all through scripture from beginning to end there's this element of works that is super important though the Bible says that some are saved as though escaping through flames. means they're going to get there because they got their fire insurance. <laughs> but they're missing out on what faith is. Faith isn't just for salvation. The Bible says work out your salvation through fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Yeah. So saving faith saves and then saving faith works. So here, here's how I like to say it. Um, the Christian declares himself to be saved by works. God pronounces us saved by faith. So there's a pronouncement and a declaration. And that's kind of what Paul, the the difference between Paul and James. The works by faith is the declaration of God's proclamation of salvation. So God has pronounced us saved by faith. We make the declaration that we have been saved by what we do. Does that make sense? And, a, and, and a, 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 a salvation that is not declared is a dead faith. The, the priest standing at the river's edge had faith that God could, but that faith would have died at the water's edge had they not stepped in. Does that make sense? God had made the proclamation This is what will happen. Believe me. Though God had made that proclamation, the declaration had to be made by the people and that by works and stepping in. Mm -hmm. And and so so we have to to be clear here. If you've accepted Christ by faith, he has proclaimed over you salvation by your faith. Is it enough... I'm not going to ask, is it enough? It's enough for salvation. Should it be enough to accept the proclamation without ever living the declaration? Did you follow that question? Should it be enough to accept the proclamation of salvation without ever living out the declaration of it? It should not be enough. We should never rest back and say, because God has proclaimed salvation over me and my faith, I'm done. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I think that's what James is saying. That's exactly yeah. it. So now works is, works is not God's proclamation of salvation. Works is my declaration of my salvation. I will work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So which one is more important? They both are. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. You can't do the works 
if you haven't had the faith. You can do the works. You're just re- a yeah, religious but, Pharisee. Right. And that, that's, what, that's what my one friend said. He said, all you got to do is like, if you don't know Jesus personally, but you do the good deeds, then you're good. Like, what? <laughs> what, what, what about all these good religions out there? What about the Pharisees that were chastised because of their good works without a relationship with the Father? Like it, and, and, and so I, I think as we look at Scripture, we have to, and as we look at our own faith progress, we have to accept by faith salvation and, and the proclamation of God over us is believe in my son by faith. That's the proclamation. That's what he's proclaimed. That's what he speaks over us. Once we've accepted that, then we have to live out the declaration of this is who, this is what I believe. And the only way we live out the declaration of our faith is by stepping into the water. It is by the actions that we do. And it's just not the actions of being kind and letting someone cut in front of us when we're trying to emerge on a 41 from 12. It's, it, it's acting in line with the power and authority that we say we believe that Jesus possesses. It's, it, it is being kind, but it's more than being kind. It's facing every swollen river and every lion's den and every jail cell and every turmoil. And it's facing every one of those with faith and action in accordance to with the authority that we say Jesus possesses. And that's what the priests did when they stepped in the river. They didn't just believe it, but they acted in line. They made the declaration with their works in line with the authority of what God has said. With apparently no hesitation and no fear and no doubt. Right? So, to us, who have accepted the proclamation of salvation by faith, now we endeavor to live every day, living out by works the declaration of that proclamation. By choosing to approach all these things we face in life, according to the authority that we say we believe that Jesus has, because it is ours now, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. <clears throat> Got it? Now, any more questions, cries, shouts of outrage than what we've already had? (laughs) Um, I have one. (laughs) Is this something we want on the recording, Richard? (laughs) (sighs) Good question. (laughs) I'll defer. I'll defer. (laughs) Are we good? Yeah. Yeah, we're good.